I get up in the morning and say to myself and try to live by every single day is to be kind and to serve. I think if you focus your life on those two things, in every situation, every conversation, every circumstance, every interaction thing, how can I be kind in this situation? How can I serve? Purpose Deep Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. A really warm welcome to Purpose Deep Podcast with Afan Oyinyama, the founder and CEO of the Jenko Foundation. It was established in 2005 to raise money in support of projects in Nigeria. Those focused on medical treatment, education, those who've been victims of terrorism. Afam has engaged the stars of Hollywood, donors like Oprah Winfrey, David Oiloa, Brad Pitt, all on Afam's speed dial. Enjoy the episode. Don't forget to share with friends, family and colleagues. And you're on Apple Podcasts. Hit subscribe. It really makes a difference to getting the show out there. Enjoy the episode. Afan Onyema, welcome to Purposely Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. It's a pleasure to be with you. You're sitting in California. You're in LA. I'm in Auckland, New Zealand. So really, really good to connect. And you're also the founder and CEO of Genco Foundation. What is its vision? What is its mission? Sure. So Genco started with my father's dream. My father and my mother are native Nigerians. And my father, when he was in the equivalence of high school, secondary school, was assigned to be the assistant for a British missionary doctor back in the the early 50s in Nigeria. And this doctor, who was one of the first female surgeons or doctors in that region, saw something in him and really brought him along. And he learned about frontier medicine, fighting malaria and dealing with pregnancies and all of this at a very young age. And he was inspired by this doctor and thought and promised this doctor and my grandfather, his father, that no matter where I go and what I do, if I leave the country to pursue my career and to build a family, I will come back to Nigeria and I will pour myself into helping to save lives, the same way this doctor committed her life to saving lives. So she met my he met my mom, who is a nurse, and they came over to the United States, to Chicago, city of Chicago to be precise. And their plan was to stay no more than four, five, six years, learn about modern medicine, raise some money, and then head back to Nigeria to make this promise real. But I am the second of four kids. And when we came along, my parents realized it'd be terribly unfair to us to pull us from amazing opportunities in the States to go back to a country, Nigeria, that was just really falling apart. Ethnic violence and fighting over oil resources and unfortunately a lot of the same issues Nigeria is dealing with to this day and so they stayed in we stayed in Chicago and my dad told us about this doctor and this dream and that one day he really wants to make this a reality and when I was young it was just his dream it was as Nigeria was as far away place it was pre-social media so I had no real connection to my cousins and aunts and uncles and other people in Nigeria. But as I got older, going into Harvard, and I realized I was surrounded by people who, for the most part, wanted to be financially successful, or culturally relevant, or politically powerful. And those are all great. And I have friends who are doing well in all those areas. But for me, I thought more, what impact can I make? How can I serve? And so I 
kind of rediscovered my dad's dream and talked to him more about it. Still with the idea of I'm going to make a bunch of money or be or be well known or well placed to help you make this real, but I'm going to have my own profession. I ended up going to Stanford Law School, got really involved in trying to help my dad pull things together. We did our first medical mission. Uh, we arranged for doctors from Chicago to do hip and knee replacements in Nigeria. And I was in law school, so I couldn't go, but I helped plan it and fundraise for it. And those doctors came back. And I remember hearing the stories and seeing the pictures and realizing each patient, if we did not do this mission, they would still be in constant agony for the rest of their life. There was no one else coming. These surgeries were very expensive, very complex. And I thought, what, what a great way to live life, to wake up every morning and to work as hard as you can to have an impact like that on people. So I turned down my corporate law offers and decided, you know what, I'm going to build a foundation and do this work full time because it terrified me and excited me every single day. And I think that's probably the way to go. If you're terrified and inspired by your work every single day, then it's probably the thing you should be doing for life. So I graduated law school and I came down to LA in September of 2007 and been leading Jinko ever since. At the heart of your decision to, to maybe, you know, say no to big money and, and those, you know, those career offers in law or, or prior to that, I know it was medicine. Is the heart of your decision a lot around identity and identifying with your dad, with your, with his country? Like is, is identity a big part of the decision you guys have made? Obviously, there's that bit that you can do and make a huge impact on people's lives, but is that a strong pull for you, identity? Sure, yes, that's that, that's definitely true. I think growing up, again, not having, and we're so fortunate today with all the tools that we have in terms of social media and technology, whether it's you know, Facebook or WhatsApp or what have you, to be able to be so connected to not only everyone around the world, but if you're from a particular country or you have roots in that country, you can really focus and stay connected there. Not having that growing up, I just, I felt a disconnect. We had a, a strong Nigerian African community in Chicago that we embraced as family, but I didn't really feel that connection to Nigeria as a country. And I got, as I got older, I just wanted to learn more about who I was and where I was from and, and just wanted to support this country that, you know, my, my parents were able to get out and do wonderful things. So many members of their generation, but I had, I had cousins who were struggling just to survive, let alone thrive. And they were just as smart and in many cases, much smarter than I am. And so it wasn't a matter of, of intelligence it was a matter of opportunity. And I thought, well, I can't bring them over to the U.S., but if I can help them health-wise, if I can provide help provide education and scholarships to girls who need those opportunities, if I can just throw myself into helping this country and through helping it, getting to know more about myself and my family and my culture, then that was just really appealing to me. And so I learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about being Nigerian, not only ironically through the work that we do in Nigeria and my trips to Nigeria, but because this work has attracted so many Nigerian Americans and Ni British Nigerians and, and Nigerians uh, from all over the, the world who see what we're doing and are attracted to it and have that same sense of, I want to give back to my, my 
original culture, the the land of my mom and my my dad. And so we have Nigerian Americans who are doing well, so well in finance and entertainment and sports and what have you. And they see us as a vehicle through which they can give back. And so that's been just a lovely experience to get to know so many amazing, successful Nigerians throughout the, the world and to partner with them on the work that we do in Nigeria. And what gave you your sort of old head on young shoulders or that understanding that you wanted your life to be about purpose and not just about money and material things like where did that come from because you were you're really young when you went down this path and and you're probably going to tell me that actually you get a lot from it and i'm sure you do and i want to really go into that what you get from it but where did that grounding come from because often you know that's a real selfish period of our lives especially when you you know you're um in universities where it's all about individualism and, and striving and getting that best job like where do we go back to the foundations of your personality? Where did that come from? Sure. Uh, it's really, it begins with my, my parents. My parents are just the most selfless, giving, kind people that I know. And they really worked hard to instill that in, in me and in my brother and in my two sisters, just growing up. And it's not only saying it, because it's one thing to say, be kind and make sure you give, but I saw and it, I saw their example every single day and how much my, my mom is an emergency room nurse and just through her work, taking care of people who have been wounded terribly and consoling mothers who have seen their, their son shot or consoling a son when their mother has had a heart attack and just how kind she is, how she would every Christmas give presents to everyone, the the postman, all of our teachers, the person down the street who who needs a little bit of help, and my father the same way. And so it was just it was just we, we were we were just kind of stewed in those juices, so to speak, and we saw it by example. And um Do you think the example's more powerful than the words? Oh absolutely. Absolutely. I think we're just we're flooded with words. And I I the one thing I can't stand is hypocrisy. And so if someone is saying something and not doing it, that to me just makes me furious. And I, I, I just, I'd rather someone be honest and say, you know, especially in our case, I can't support what you're doing or I don't believe in it or what have you as opposed to, I love this. Let's, you know, I know I live in LA, which is the land <laughs> in most cases of people talking beyond their, their actions. And so I, I think at this point I have a, uh, I like to think a, a honed sense of, of people who are, who are authentic and real. And if I don't, I have definitely cultivated a community of people who are genuine. And when they say they're going to do something, they do it and they show up. And I certainly, on my end, try very hard to do that. I, If I commit to something, I think my friends know, my family knows, our donors know that we're going to do it. If someone, If I go to someone and say, please, can you help us build a clinic in Nigeria that give us the money, that clinic gets built and it gets built well and it's maintained and i show them pictures and video if we go a dollar over budget i tell them because i just really believe in that importance and i think we've built up such a great reputation in a country that has a terrible reputation and so people may worry about nigeria but they don't worry about us because they see who we've brought along and we can talk about some of our well-known high-profile supporters and the fact that we get audited and then we just we're very we have very strong roots in the US in terms of being transparent and audited and just run very professionally. But we have very strong roots in Nigeria. We're not coming over to 
throw something on the ground that people aren't asking for and needing. Like we are part of the community. We, we are part of the, 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 we talk to the government and we talk to local community leaders and we ask people, what do you need? What do you want? Not what can we give you? And, and here it is. Make sure you don't, you don't mess it up. I think that's yeah. critical. Trust is a huge thing, isn't it? And I want to dive into the story of the foundation in a minute, but just going back to that point around serving and I know serving is a, you know, something you live by, but a lot of people don't understand how amazing serving is, right? Or how much you get back. Tell us about your kind of philosophy around serving and, and what that's journey, because you've been doing this for, you know, nearly 18 years. What, what are the things you get back and, and what is your philosophy on serving? Absolutely. I just live by my motto for life, the thing I get up in the morning and say to myself and try to live by every single day is to be kind and to serve. I think if you focus your life on those two things, in every situation, every conversation, every circumstance, every interaction, think, how can I be kind in this situation? How can I serve this person, this situation, this organization? And I often say it and fail. But I, I have that as a as an anchor for my life, and it's just a way to for me to to not go crazy, to not drift too far into my own selfish needs and desires. And yes, it's amazing the joy one can get from serving, from giving to someone who has no means to give anything back to you, and without any expectation. And I just I am overwhelmed by the number of people who give us. Their hard-earned money, their time, their support, people who could not find Nigeria on a map, to be honest, but are so selfless in their giving. And they do it because they want to inject some kindness in this world. They want to inject some good in this world. All we hear about is how fractured we are, how divided we are, how much hate is being spewed. And if we can just carve out a little bit of kindness and serve, I think it does something, whether you're religious or not, it does something to your soul and to your spirit. And I certainly feel that. And I can sense that when our mission team goes and serves. Like I can sense that when our teachers teach our kids. I can sense that even with, with Oscar winners and big celebrities down to Girl Scout troops. Like there's something in service that, that calls to the best part of us. And I just love the fact that I get to be a part of that. And you're who you are, where your origins are your family, what's important to them, your mission in life. It's its all really connected. And I imagine that is really powerful when talking to potential donors. Now, take us right back because, you know, a lot of people start a charitable foundation with a, an endowment or a large lead donation or, but take us back to 2005 and you had convinced your dad to let him bring you into the fold. I guess at that point, you probably had very little money on the table how did you launch it? Like, you know, where did you go for your first donors? Like, cause you, a large thing about supporting charity as you've just talked about is trust and track record and confidence and the ability of the person to do something. Like, how did you start? Oh, yes. So yeah, very good question. So when I, when I was in law school and we, we created Jinko as a foundation, we had our first medical mission in 2005. I graduated from law school in 2007 and wanted to start it full-time. And not only do we not have any money in our account, we didn't have an account. And I was going to graduate law school, 100, 150,000 
U.S. dollars in debt. So not necessarily the best circumstance for starting a charity and starting a charity focused on Nigeria. And I just remember when I decided to make this decision, I talked to my my law school friends about it. And I talked to my professors about it. And we, it was the response from that community is the reason why I'm talking to you today. I remember one of my wealthy professors heard about what I was doing. We met after class and he basically said, here is $50,000. I want you just to take this and take care of yourself and then use the, the time that that you now have, not worrying about paying rent and all that, to go raise money for this cause and, and then come back to me when you need more. So we opened our account with that with that check and the check from two dear friends from college. There, the guy's father was, I opened the account with those two checks. So two friends from college, this law school professor, my classmates at Stanford Law School held a fundraiser for us at the Sheraton Palo Alto in uh, there on on Stanford's campus and I remember there were you know we had 100 plus people there and I remember kind of being in the corner and one of my classmates came up to me and said you know that none of us really care a whole lot about Nigeria but we care deeply about you and if it is your dream to help Nigeria we are going to do whatever we can to support you so we're giving through you or to you to help and he just said, just know that, like, I wouldn't be here if anyone else in this class had this dream. Um, and so I just had, to this day, majority of my classmates support all over the country, all over the world. And then that was a springboard to reaching out to the broader, I mentioned I went to Harvard as well as Stanford Law School. So I reached out to both the Harvard alumni community and the Stanford community and I had so many alums give and support us. And that was really the seeding of this. One of my, one of my friends just happened to have parents who were billionaires. And to this day, they've been supporting us. And so that got, that got us going. And then when I, when I moved to LA and I made a conscious decision to base Jinko in LA. Yeah. Why I is that? If you can get, yeah. No, yeah. It's because one doesn't probably think about a charity that helps Nigeria being based in, and just on, you know, just down the street from Hollywood, but. I made that decision because I realized if I can get to the people well-known here in this city and they supported us, that would allow us to fight a lot of the negative connotation and all the the bad ideas people had about Nigeria. I told my dad, we are fighting both disease and doubt. And so the minute someone hears the word, sees the word Nigeria, they're going to turn off. And so we need to be able to convince them that, no, we are honest we are true we are transparent we are we are a cause you can give to and feel good about it so i just i moved down here and i just worked on building relationships and worked on meeting the right people taking my time building their trust eventually i connected with some really great british nigerians david ayelowo who was an actor who played martin luther king in selma and many other roles and then juatel ejiofor was Oscar nominated for 12 Years a Slave, was in the Doctor Strange Marvel movies. And they really had a strong desire to give back to, to Nigeria, the land of their, their parents, just like me. And so we partnered together and they really helped me expand our network through, through David. And with his help, I was able to get Oprah to help seed the scholarship that we have. And I can talk about the scholarship itself 
but we've had great support from so many amazing people here in, in Hollywood, people associated with Hollywood, whether it be Benedict Cumberbatch or Jimmy Kimmel or the Oscars or Charlize Theron. We have just so many great people who have supported us. And I just, I think it's because they realize that we are honest and true, that we are not some fly by night kind of stardust glitzy foundation that we do real work and we make a real impact in a really dangerous, really tough part of the world. And they really value that. And, and they really value the fact that, that I'm, I wasn't hired by Jinko. All of our donors appreciate that. Like I wasn't hired by Jinko. And if I get a better pay package from UNICEF, I'm going to UNICEF or to whatever charity. Like I created this. It's family. And I am in it until the day that I die. And so that resonates with them as well. And in those early days when you moved to California and you had this clear vision, which is incredible, did you ever doubt yourself? And then what was that like in terms of you just have to keep showing up, right? And be really consistent and tell your story and just give us a feel for how you kept the faith. Because I imagine it wasn't always plain sailing, right? That wasn't always easy. Oh, not at all. In fact, people tend to look at our our website and they see all these pictures of red carpets and and superstars and what have you, and they think that we're that we're that it was easy, that it was, and it wasn't. I remember the first couple of years. So I moved down to LA in the fall of two thousand and seven, and basically, and the, the Great Recession happened two thousand and eight. So two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. Sorry, were some of the worst years of my life. I've never felt as isolated. I never felt as felt as unattached or unmoored. I never felt as much of a failure. Um, Just you get up in the morning and your main drive is to save Africa, save Nigeria. And you're just trying to pull it together. And I I learned nothing about running a charity in law school. Law school is a great experience for me. I love Stanford, but it teaches you nothing about running a charity about fundraising. And so I'm learning on the fly. I'm reaching out to people. And I mentioned all the amazing people who said yes. But for every person who said yes, there were 10 who said no or ignored me. And so you're dealing with an avalanche of rejection, an avalanche of people not even responding to you. And you just feel small. And you feel that you see all these stories about other charities doing big things. And you're just, you're just scraping along. And we had to we had to we had to really focus on what is our our mission what are we about and i had to create an organization and get a board and motivate that board and and it was incredibly challenging and i never felt that i never felt that i was going to give up i once i commit to something i'm committed to it um so i was going to we were going to make it happen and but it was doesn't mean it was it wasn't painful it doesn't mean that i again those were the the, the most challenging years of my life and I, le- I look back and realize how much I learned about myself in those in those moments in those years. But it was incredibly painful, and I made a million mistakes a day, and I'd wake up and make a million more different <laughs> mistakes yeah. the next day. So I, I I try to mentor and and talk to people, young folks in particular, who want to do something like this. And I'm like, listen, I have a whole grab bag of mistakes that I can share with you so hopefully you can avoid making those same ones yourself and you know storytelling is often an important uh, tool isn't it but you know beyond your story and your real drive and commitment and sense of mission and purpose like 
what were the sort of tactics you used to get in front of people? Like, how did you, how did you stay visible? Like, cause you know, from my perspective, anyone in LA is trying to end up on, you know, in a film or on TV, but <laughs> how, what were your, what were you, do you remember your tactics to, to staying visible? Yeah. So interesting. So I, I, between college and law school, I worked in public relations and PR. I did two years at a big corporate PR firm in Chicago. Then I went in-house at a law firm and did kind of internal PR for that law firm until I went to, to law school. And that experience was invaluable in terms of learning how to tell a story, the importance of quote unquote, selling yourself, selling your organization, marketing, and so I worked really hard on that very early because most nonprofits, most charities are awful at marketing. They're awful at PR because they want, oh, it's not about us. It's not about our leader or our history. It's about the work. Well, it needs to be about you because people, you want people to give to you and support you and they give to story. They give to individuals. They don't give to a cause. They give to an individual or to an organization that has a great story. And so early on, we're able to get great placement in, you know, Harvard Magazine, the alumni magazine of Harvard or Stanford Magazine or, I, you know, a different local LA, whether it be a, a paper or a magazine or, uh, you know, online and just try to get our, our, our name out there. And then I spent a lot of time just going out and connecting with people and we'd have a two hour conversation and money wasn't never mentioned. I just wanted to build a relationship. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere and I'm not going to pressure you to give. If you can support us in some way at some point, let's talk about it. But I just spent years and because I had kind of that cushion from my professor and a few others, I could afford to be patient and build those relationships. And now, you know, 15 years later, you know, some of our first donors are still giving. Uh, you know, we, we have a big gala here in LA and it turned from a, you know, 30 people in a kind of dimly lit hotel ballroom eating rubber chicken to now a big red carpet event with, with celebrities and what have you. And that's because we, the people who were in that dimly lit ballroom are still with us now on the red carpet and they brought along other people and the, it's since grown. So for me, if I could kind of sum it up, I would say for, for charities or nonprofits, have a great story, work on your story, work on your why in the parlance of the time and tell it to everyone. Tell it through social media, tell it verbally, tell it through podcasts, tell it through online, like just find venues and tell your story because those are the best ways for people to hear about it and to get excited about it. Um, I really do think that the best story wins. And, and and that's so important. The power of story. We're driven as human beings by story. Yeah, because like you said earlier in the conversation, like the, the story around uh, Nigeria has been, you know, super negative. You know, like people being robbed when they go there, poverty, really tough time for girls and women. But you managed to through really strong storytelling, but also through real authentic connection, and that's who you are and your dad is, and the good work that you're doing. Like completely turn the tables on, on Nigeria. And you've got, you know, you look at your list of supporters and who believes in you and your donors. Like it's, it is incredible. And you, you know, it seems to have come a, a, a long way in terms of the, 
actual work that you're doing, that's, that's matured a bit as well, isn't it? So you, you know, you've tell us about, you know, you should more focus on the, at the start, it seems on delivering one off operations or points of aid where it's much more focused on the longer term for those people who get your support in Nigeria. Your kind of process or how you operate, how you make an impact has, has evolved. Yes. And that's one of those things people tend to gloss over. It, it's like, yes, you can have a mission to save lives. You know, our, our mission is to save and transform lives in Nigeria. Okay. How do you do that? Literally, how do you do that? And so for us, our main goal, we did the medical missions. We thought we also wanted to build a world-class hospital in Nigeria. That was one of my father's dreams is to have this, you know, 10, 15, $20 million U.S. hospital where people could get all sorts of care, tertiary care, cancer, cardiac, and what have you. So for years, we tried to pursue that. And we realized that it got to the point where we were never going to raise the amount of money to make that dream possible. And it turned into us raising money to survive long enough to come back to the same people to ask for money again. So I said, well, Dad, we have to start doing things on the ground to show that we're making an impact and saving lives in the now, in the here and now. And so along with our medical missions, my dad's an obstetrician gynecologist. And so maternal health, Delivering healthy babies safely has always been critical to our family and central to our our importance. That the importance of, uh, of of those of those medical procedures and and way of life. And so we started doing more medical. or sorry, started doing mater- maternal care in Nigeria and helping, especially anemic women. Nigeria has the worst anemia problem in in the world, and helping severely anemic women safely deliver healthy babies. And then we that's developed into a clinical network. So instead of 10, 15, $20 million for a hospital, we spend $100,000 on a clinic, take a 40-foot shipping container, and we retrofit it into a modular clinic where women can deliver safely, kids can get vaccinated, women can get health care, and it's solar powered. And you can put it in the, we put them in the poorest areas in Southeast Nigeria. And as we speak, we have five clinics running. And, and, and again, as we're, as I'm speaking, women are getting the healthcare they need. Kids are getting vaccinated and it's a wonderful thing. So it just shows the, the need to be able to adjust and kind of the word du jour to pivot and to understand, okay, this is not possible. But what about this? And so on the healthcare side, we continue to do the missions. Um, we do hip and knee replacements, and also minimally invasive surgeries on hernias, gallbladders, appendix removals. So we alternate between those medical missions. And then on the education side, we have the David Ayelowo Leadership Scholarship for Girls. And again, we weren't in education at all. And when I met David in 2014, he said, you know, Boko Haram, it was the whole Bring Back Our Girls campaign, 2014, 2015. And he said, I, we can't do anything to fight Boko Haram, but wouldn't it be a beautiful rebuke to them to take these girls, these amazing, powerful, lovely girls, and put them right back in the school and to educate them and empower them? And I said, well, we don't do education. I would love to do this if you can be a true partner. And to his everlasting credit, he's been a great partner and really opened up 
the world of Hollywood to us. And we've gotten to so many amazing people through him. I mentioned Oprah was our seed donor and we've gotten to Daniel Craig as a supporter, Angelina Jolie's a supporter. And then around the same time, I got to know Chiwetel Ejiofor and his mom has a, a school in Nigeria. And so it's been a wonderful partnership because now the majority of our scholarship girls go to that school and we support that school directly with computers and we built them a, a soccer pitch, football field, built them a basketball court, built them a meeting hall, built them a science and, and a science laboratory. So, and then again, Jewatel has been amazing with helping us to, to, to get into the, the Hollywood world as well and kind of using his, his megaphone to his platform to help us. So again, that, that wasn't planned, but it happened so naturally. And now we're just locked in. We have what we're going to do. We're not looking to expand. We're not looking to go wide. Now we're looking to go deep and to do more clinics, bring more girls under scholarship, do more medical missions. So it's just exciting to know that what, what we're doing is locked in. And now we have to just work on doing more of it. And for any overseas charity, it's really vital that you let the people that you're helping, the local people, come up with solutions, that they design the programs or they are core at the decision-making. Is that the sort of philosophy that, that you guys operate by and, you know, continue to operate now? Or is, is that sort of central? Absolutely. No, I, I, I agree 100% with that, Mark. So... Yes, we, again, the benefit, uh, we have a very strong U.S. operation, but again, we are truly partnering with people on the ground. You know, the majority of our team in Nigeria, they're young women. You know, we, young women, young Nigerian women run Jinko in Nigeria. They oversee our scholarship. They manage our operations. Our, we have a young female who's our accountant for, for Jinko. And so, and they're drawn from the local community. We're not flying people over and having them work in Nigeria. So that's, that's to start. And then with the educational program and our scholarship, we find great partner schools and we empower them. We say, what do you need? Some of them just literally need to keep the lights on. So we build, we, we buy them generators. We'll, I told them we'll never go in and say, ooh. We, there's this new swanky new way of teaching this. So we kind of want you to do that. Or we have a donor who really wants you to teach more of this history or to no longer teach this. And no, we don't get into pedagogy. We don't tell schools what to do. We, we, we at the front end, we meet with them. We see how they're running as a school, as an organization, as an administration. If we're comfortable with them, we partner with them. And then we just, we pay the tuition, we support them with physical infrastructure and let them flourish. And then on the, on the medical side, every medical mission we do, we have teams of young local medical school students, local surgeons, local residents who scrub in, who learn. We have a teaching component for every single mission. And so we're empowering local medical professionals in Nigeria with every mission. We don't fly in do surgeries, say good luck, wipe our hands clean and fly out. Like we're, we're partnering with these individuals and medical facilities on an ongoing basis. And then for the clinics, they are run by local nurses and midwives. We actually don't run those clinics. They decide how much to charge patients. They decide how many patients to take every day. They hire their staff. They, 
they they run the clinics and we are there to partner with them we help them everything from maintaining good records to uploading you know people think oh like Nigerians who are in rural areas can't deal with technology. Our midwives and nurses upload data to the cloud every single week. I can tell you how many babies were delivered in clinic number two in July of 2019. You know, so it's really important to us to be able to, to help them and empower them in that way. And they'll tell you themselves that they, they do feel truly empowered because we're partnering with them. They don't, they're not staff. They don't, we, we, we donate the clinics to them and we make sure that they abide by very high standards. And if they do, they can keep running the clinics, but we're, they're not our employees and we're not telling them, make sure you don't serve anyone from this tribe or make sure the governor's family gets in first. And no, it's very much, what do you need? And we'll sit down with the government and local government. We don't deal with the federal government, but the state government and say, how can we help? When COVID hit, we started doing COVID trainings. People tend to forget that people, when COVID hit, we assumed, oh, everyone knows how to avoid COVID, you know, wash your hands, wear a mask and all that. But that, that wasn't universally known. And so we held trainings for hundreds of nurses and doctors and midwives in Nigeria. And we donated over 60,000 pieces of PPE, gloves, masks, hand sanitizers to make sure that we were protecting people in, in the community. And then one more thing. When the universe of students around the world were locked down, we realized that there are going to be girls who will never go back to school. Their parents will say, hey, you're you're stuck here. You're not learning. You're already here. Why go back? I'm going to get you married off and, and you're going to have you know kids when you're 15, 16. So we ended up donating internet-enabled tablets to students and especially to girls, all the girls in our program, so they can keep learning, they can keep reading. The tablets were filled with hundreds of physics books and math books and novels so they could keep their minds engaged. And the student and the, the schools could use those tablets to run Google Classroom and other remote learning. So it really helped get those girls through the, the lockdown period. And that was because of feedback in terms of we need to keep these girls engaged. Can you help us? And we said, yes, we'll do whatever we can. Yeah. Huge long-term damage, if not. And yeah, your real passion for this, and and I'm just picturing you at a clinic in a school on the ground in Nigeria, amongst all of the work that you're doing, you know, that your charity's funding. And I'm just, and I'm picturing you jumping on this big airplane, landing back in Hollywood. Let's just call it Hollywood. I know you live in, the, in another part of LA, but <laughs> how, how do you do that? Like, and stay kind of like, does it just feel living in those two worlds? Does it just feel hard to sometimes? Now, great question, Mark. And, I, and I'll tell you, I need both. So I, if you told me, listen, you're going to fundraise for this organization, Jinko, but you're a fundraiser. You're never going to go to Nigeria. You're going to go and meet in New York Wall Street offices. You're going to meet on Hollywood studios. You're going to meet in Chicago boardrooms. I could not do that. I need to feel connected to the work. So my trips to Nigeria are just soul nourishing. I can see the work. I can touch the people that were affected. I can sit down with them, pull out a, a pen and some paper and say, how can we be better? What do you need? How can we support you? How can we serve you in a better way? So I need that time in Nigeria. But if you told me, hey, you're going to be a program manager in Nigeria running the medical clinics or running the scholarship, I couldn't do that either. 
I really need to be amongst people, our supporters, talking to them, touching them, hugging them, thanking them, persuading them. I, I need to have that as well. So I'm so blessed in this job that I can do both. That when I'm when I'm feeling that I'm in a bubble, and I'm in a bubble here in here in LA, and you're, you know, I, I, it's such a blessing. You know, I we have some supporters who are part of the the Marvel movie universe, and so I've spent some some time on on Marvel movie sets, and you're just you're literally in this make believe world, <laughs> and you know, and you're talking to people who are dressed up as wizards and what have you, and. And, and we're on red carpets. We, we work with the Oscars. And so, you know, go to the Oscars and, and, and meet the host and what have you. And it can feel so, in a lot of ways, unreal unless you're grounding it in the fact that this is directly tied to helping women deliver healthy babies, helping girls who have been abused, who have been abandoned, get education to empower them and help them live the lives they deserve to live. And so whenever I'm in those those starlit situations, I connect it directly to the work in Nigeria. And whenever I'm in Nigeria, I think, okay, this is why I'm running around in Hollywood, knocking on doors and dealing with agents and managers and publicists, which again is a whole nother podcast, um, and, and asking for money, which to most people is terrifying to ask for money. It's, it's, people would rather, people would rather do almost anything than ask for money. And, um, but when I see the results of the support that we get, how can I not ask for money? How can I not do every single thing possible to ensure one more girl gets educated? One more woman delivers safely. So I need both. And I think the fact that I, I'm not a starstruck guy, that if I'm meeting with an Oscar winning actor or I'm winning, meeting with a billionaire, I don't care who they're sleeping with. I, I may have not seen their, their latest movie, but I care about them as an individual. And I want to, I want to work and partner with them. And I always say, how can we serve together? And they love that because no one approaches them like that. People approach them with all sorts of weirdness and I approach them as an equal and say, I want to partner with you to do some great good. I want to befriend you. And I want us as friends to do this work together. So that's the best part of this job is being able to have friends on both sides of the Atlantic when I, when I get to do this work. Yeah, wonderful. And I know that you've got a board meeting tomorrow and I know that um, it's a family affair. So, you, you know, you've got strong representation of your family and the, the charity's name is sort of all about your family. Just describe the name and then give us a feel for what sort of board meeting will be like with your family. Like I imagine, you know, you probably challenge each other quite a bit and uh, there's no holes barred. Yeah, so Jinko is the first initial in everyone in the family. So my father is Godwin. He's the G. My sister is Abella. She's the E. I'm Afam. I'm the A. And then the N, you have the double up. So the youngest, Unche, she's my sister. She is N-C-H-E. She is the N. And then my mom's Nigerian name, her kind of baptized name was, is, is Josephine. But her, her given name, Nigerian name is Unma, N-M-A. So they're, they're the two N's. And then Chuku Gazie, everyone calls him Goz. He's my, my brother. And then the O is on Yema. So it, it's, it really is rooted in family. And anyone who donates even a dollar, anyone who spends any time thinking or working for Jinko, our, our med team that goes over to do surgeries, people who donate supplies, people who donate their time, they're all members of the Jinko family. 
And when I send emails, when I write to people, I say, dear Jinko family, and I truly mean it. So yes, yeah, so we'll have our, our board meeting. It'll be the family, but also a, we have outside board members. You, you know, you never have a, an organization with just members of the family just for transparency and accountability. So we have several outside board members. And then we have special advisors, so people who aren't voting members of the board, but doctors and lawyers and entertainment executives and financial executives who just love Jinko, love what we're doing, and they they participate. And this particular meeting, the main focus, uh, two main focuses, one is going to be on the recent Leadership Scholarship Summit that we had. So in July of 2022, we brought together all of our scholarship, most of our scholarship girls from our five different partner schools around Nigeria, brought them together in one place for four days, four and a half days of leadership. So there were workshops, there were talks, there were team building exercises, there was music, there were sports, all around the idea of empowering these girls, inspiring these girls, helping them understand what leadership is, what their own leadership style is, how do they want to lead and show up in life. And my two sisters, Abella and Enche, led it and were just masterful in the plan that they, they put together for it. And they executed it in a way that was just brilliant. I was there just basically to lift heavy objects and to make sure everything <laughs> got paid for. So I was very happy to step back and let them do their amazing work. And so we'll talk about that summit. And then September 30th, 2022, we have our big Hollywood gala. Anyone who wants to learn more about it can go to jinko.org, G-E-A-N-C-O.org. It's our biggest event of the year, and we're super excited about it. And um, it's a great opportunity for folks to to support us. And we have people flying in. It's, it's a Hollywood gala, but I have friends from Seattle, from Atlanta, from Chicago, friends from Nigeria coming in for it. And it's just a it's a fun celebration. You do have the the red carpet celebrities, and we have several celebrities who are coming. But it's also just great partners and friends who come, and and it's an amazing opportunity. So we'll talk about that. Kind of talk about the, everything else we have going on. It's it's a you know these next four months are, are are most important for us in terms of raising money and raising awareness. And so we'll just kind of get everyone on the same page in terms of doing what they can do and. We definitely challenge each other. I, I like to be challenged. And I certainly am not shy about challenging people in a, a polite and persistent way. Because, again, the people we support are worth it. And I just always want to make that clear to people on the board and not on the board and donors and potential donors that that what we're doing is worthy of their support because the people that we support are worthy of their support. Wonderful. Thank you very much for joining my purposely. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Mark. It's been an honor to speak with you. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do.